Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3133 on LUS Fiber. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. on this Tuesday. And we will be doing some interviews in the first hour. The best time to get in is now, if you would like. And, and we'll have open phone lines in the entire Second hour, if you want to talk about Super Bowl, um, the quarterback carousel, which is always there, but for the la- last year and this year's, re- I, I don't know. I, I doubt there's been a, a, a stretch for two years where we've had so much uh, quarterback talking. I don't mind doing, even though I'm, you know, like the anti QW. But um, there's no question it, it's it's intriguing off-season drama, and now that the Saints are in the middle of it, certainly um, uh, don't mind discussing that. Uh, again, Super Bowl, college basketball kind of stuff going on. Um, did I hear that the Chiefs are now favored? Didn't it, didn't it start out the Eagles favored last weekend, and now the Chiefs are favored? I think that's the, the deal. Um, I'm sure a lot of most of that is quarterback induced, and you know, I guess maybe we'll do it when we get a little closer to the game. How many of I I don't I don't think the I don't think there's many games where the quarterbacks have won the games. We'll, we'll, we'll go back and, and look at that, the last 10 to 15 Super Bowls later in the week. How many did the quarterbacks win? And ironically, um, one of the most – the first one that jumps out in my mind is Nick Foles. I mean, Nick, you could argue Nick Foles is one of the worst quarterbacks ever played in the Super Bowl. But their offense – I mean, I mean, to me it's about offenses. It's not about quarterbacks. But their offense won that game. Uh, and most of the other games, the quarterbacks didn't win. The defenses did. I've still got Philly minus one and a half. Oh, you still I'm have seeing. Philly. That's what I'm seeing online. Okay, I, I must have misunderstood. I, I thought I, I, this morning on one of the breaks coming in that they said the Chiefs. So the so so the Eagles are still favored. I, you can have some different lines, I guess, depending. But because it's what close, seen, it's about one and a half. Right? Yeah, I see one and a half Philly still. Yeah, I, I think. I think I think that makes sense. Um, I um, I would think it. See, I don't know enough about betting. So on a game that's as popular as a Super Bowl, like there's way more people betting on it. I would think than a normal game. So that means that it does that increase the chance that the line will move or decrease the chance that the line will move because there's so many people betting on. I guess it would decrease the chance just because. You're not likely to have a again. I don't. Sweat. I don't fully know how it works either. But yeah, you're not likely to have like one side have a huge amount of money come in. Yeah. Although I, I don't know. Then they say sometimes like it's just about who the the big time bets come in. Like if somebody puts huge number down, that can sway things. I don't. I don't fully get how it how it changes either. But then they like sometimes you see the line be set at a certain spot because they know the money's going to come one direction, and it's like 
just the sports books like trying to balance things out. I don't know. What a complex industry, and it's only growing. Yes, and um, spreading. And I do think this is a pretty even Super Bowl. I mean, you, you have the more famous, more experienced team, more experienced head coach and quarterback like we talked about before. But the other team seems to be better at all the, at most of the other positions outside the the quarterback and 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 uh, and head coach scenario. So it, it's it, it's a it's a fascinating game. What what's the first Super Bowl that you remember watching where you knew what was going on? Um, I mean a lot of them. The first like vivid just like vivid memory because it was important to me was because I was in Disney World when uh the Giants beat Brady uh the first time so I remember that one just because I was like we were on vacation at the time but I mean I remember ones before that as well like just here and there like I remember why and then I've gone back and watched them yeah the first one I the I mean I I'm pretty sure I have a very vague memory of the Dolphins, I mean, um, the Cowboys beating the Dolphins, which would have been after the 71 season, I would have been five. But the first one that I really, really remember watching and knowing about would, would have been the when the Dolphins beat Raymond's Little Redskins 14 to 7 in, in, uh, uh, to, fit, to wrap up the, the, the perfect season of the 72 season, January of 73. And yet, you know, if you'd have told me then – you know, as big a sports fan as I as I was, that I would have missed a Super Bowl after that. I'd have, I'd have never believed you, but I, I mean, there's probably the first Super Bowl I didn't watch since that '72 when was the um, when the Cheaters played the Chargers. I'm not watching this Cheaters. They're awful uniform. I remember going to a friend's Super Bowl party and. As soon as the game was about to kick off, I said, see y'all later. I, 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 ain't, I ain't watching it. They had them ugly, awful uniforms, and I, I just couldn't watch it. And and I've not – you know, the, the, the lights-out game was like 10 years ago when the Ravens played the Cheaters in the Super Bowl. I didn't watch that one either. Did, didn't watch that one either. So, no, it's uh, – I, I, I was very glad of the matchup this year – you know, very little to no emotion for me in the game one way or the other. And so I, I kind of – I can actually watch it and just, you know, if I, I'm, I, look, I hope the Eagles win. I have multiple reasons for hoping the Eagles win. One, the cheat I, – I was the, um, the bad guy in my family because I was pulling against the Bengals for the championship game. I don't – I don't really have anything against the Chiefs other than they rave too much about the quarterback and and uh, and they're in you know the Broncos division, so I don't really want them to win. And plus, you know the way I think, um, I don't really think the Eagles are due for a. Me- I don't think next year will be a medicine season if the Eagles win because they they it hasn't been that long since they won the Super Bowl. It was like five years ago, but I do think your chances. If you win, your chances of winning the next season are not that good. I mean, it's been a long, it's been quite a while since somebody repeated. 
Patriots, I guess, were the last team to do that. So it hasn't, it's been, it doesn't happen very often. So since the Saints are in the NFC, I really think I'd rather the Eagles win because that kind of eliminates them from going to the Super Bowl in my mind. Not It's not a medicine season, so it's possible they could go. But it kind of eliminates them in my mind. And so, you know, that's one less team you got to worry about going to the Super Bowl next year from the NFC picture. So I kind of like that. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, good morning, Mr. Foote. How you doing? Good morning, sir. Look, I, I wanted to, to share my first Super Bowl memory. I was a kid, and uh, the Bills were playing. And my dad, you know, grew up a Buffalo, so he was a huge Bills fan. And what sticks out for me, I don't even remember who they were playing. I just remember they lost. It was their first first Super Bowl. And uh, my dad was cheering for him. My mom goes, who are they playing? My dad told her. She goes, yeah, that's who I'm going to go for. And then they, like, blew up and, like, just lost. heartbreaking. And my dad didn't talk to my mom for a week. And it was <laughs> gloriously quiet. Um, oh, yeah. So... I can't that's, imagine. That's kind of my first Super Bowl. <laughs> that sounds like the Desert Storm Super Bowl. I was um, – that was the Super Bowl that I like from an analyzing standpoint. Uh, you know, the week the year, week before, Buffalo beat the Raiders like 51-3 to three or something crazy. And the, and, um, yeah. and, and, uh, and the Giants kicked five field goals to beat the Cheaters 15-13 to 13 at Cheetle Stick. And – and uh, and so mo- om- the public opinion was like, oh, the Bills are going to kill the Giants. And I'm like, the Giants are going to play physical, time of possession. For- and I everything I said played out in that game. Of course, I didn't know the guy was going to miss the kick. But I was one of the few that I, I-, I was picking the Giants in that Super Bowl. So, yeah, I'm sh- that's what it sounds like. That's Super yeah, Bowl. I think I think you're right. I think it was against the Giants. But, yeah. Yeah, that that's. That's what stuck out to me was that was the only time my mom and dad kind of butted heads sports wise. But uh, uh, I, I do have a question for you, quarterback wise, and it's this: Are the Saints dead set about moving on from Jameis? And if so, do you think he could sneak his way back to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Because my Bucks need a quarterback, man. Actually, we talked about that last week. Yes, I think the Saints are dead set. He is not going to be in New Orleans next year. And, I, you know, there there have been some whispers already I, that I've heard from multiple people uh, nationally, you know, just saying that, that, that it, you know, they could see Jameis going back to Tampa. I, you know, I, I would if I was Tampa, I'd rather have Jameis as my quarterback than Trask. I, I don't know why. Don't you see Jimmy G going there? Or am I just b- fooling myself there? I, I kind of no, see Jimmy G going there. I don't think there. you are. I, I don't think he'd be a good fit, honestly. Um, I, 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 if he's not going to go there, I could see him going to the Raiders if Rodgers doesn't go to the Raiders because, you know, some people are talking about maybe Rodgers will go to the Raiders. Uh, but, I mean, you, what, what chance do you give that Trask is going to be their starting quarterback? Now, I just don't see that. I mean, are they really going to do that? God, I hope not. I, I, You know, he's he's got talent, but I don't think that he's a starter in the league. I mean, not yet anyway. Maybe a couple of years down the road, but no, I, I really hope they don't go that route because if so, we're going to go back to there's always next season. No, I understand. I I, I could the Jameis thing would be kind of fat, but the problem. I mean, if Jameis, let's say he doesn't go there, like where is he going to go? Yeah, 
I mean, yeah. are the Colts going to take a chance on him? I, I don't. I don't know. I don't. There's somebody the Colts that might are try to trade up. Well, most people believe that, yeah, or a lot of people do. <laughs> yes, that's very possible. Yes, sir. All well, right, look, Mr. I appreciate well, the call. Thank you for taking my call. I appreciate thank you. It. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey, Kevin. Yes, You're sir. You're jogging the old memory bank. You're talking about the 72 Dolphins being undefeated. And it got me thinking, you know, my first memory of, of not necessarily the Super Bowl, but football was another great team watching the 1985 Bears lose to Miami on Monday Night Football. I think was the first game I remember watching. And then obviously they went on to win the Super Bowl. But when you were a youngster and you saw that 72 Dolphin team go undefeated, did you think, well, another team will go undefeated in my lifetime? Yeah, I mean, I don't know what I was thinking. I was six, but but probably, yeah, I, I didn't, I did, you know, I I would have never like it guessed that it that it would still be the that there wouldn't have been another undefeated team. But no, again, at that young age, I hadn't really understood, you know, battle. You know, like I talk about fighting history and all that. That that was not in my comp in my mindset back then. Well, in the seventies, it was such it was such a have have not uh, era, you know. Like, right. if they had not changed the system with free agency and all that, it would have happened multiple times, undefeated well, seasons, and, I think. and if you think about, there were some great teams, obviously the Steelers of the 70s, the uh, the Raiders had some great football teams great team. in the 70s, yes. the Cowboys, obviously Miami had some great teams, but you're right, free agency set up that Pittsburgh Steeler dynasty. And it actually brings me to my next question, and I'll hang up and listen. There's been one undefeated team that goes all the way through and, and wins the Super Bowl. Obviously, the Patriots went undefeated but lost the Super Bowl to the Giants. Do you think it's possible, and what would it take in today's modern game for a team to win them all and win the Super Bowl? Thank you. Thanks. Well, I, you can't say it's impossible. I mean, the the Patriots were one win away. Uh, I, I just think it's... I, I I would stop short of saying it's impossible. It is theoretically possible, but I don't expect it to happen. But yeah, I think it's possible. And it would just it would take someone who um, you know it, it's all about turnovers, and you got to have a re, you know it, a coach with an approach like a Belichick. You know, I, I think it's necessary to where you don't let all the distractions get involved in what you're doing and your focus, but. Uh, I would not expect it to happen. All right, we'll take a timeout, come back with more. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Tune in every weekday at 8.15 a.m. and 3.15 p.m. for the LSU Sports Update. Presented by Tibbs Trailers here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us a special guest. A man many of you will probably know, especially um, if you aren't young like Dawson, 
Turling's Catholic head wrestling coach, Kent Mason. How are you, sir? I'm doing okay. How about you? Oh, I'm hanging in there, not doing nearly as good as you. I know this is a big week, state wrestling tournament this weekend. First of all, first question I'm going to ask is, how much how, many, how much longer are y'all going to have to go to Shreveport for the state wrestling tournament? Well, that's a really good question. Um, I think we're trying to propose to have the the state the wrestling season pushed back about three weeks. One of the biggest problems that we run into is Mardi Gras. Uh, all the facilities that they want to host the state wrestling tournament in have all all have Mardi Gras balls, and those things those take precedent. Right. So if we can get past Mardi Gras week, those facilities open up and we can actually have a state tournament along the I-10 corridor because there's 84 schools that wrestle in the state of Louisiana and only, I think, 14 wrestle up in, in Shreveport. All the rest of the schools are along the I-10 corridor. So it makes sense to put the state tournament along the I-10 corridor somewhere, you know, and uh, I think we're working on trying to help that out by moving the turn, moving the state season, moving the season back about about three weeks. That's what our that's what our plan is. Now, now who fight, who is the opposition for that happening? Um, well, you have to follow the NFHS calendar, and you have to have the state wrestling tournament finished by the thirty sixth week on the calendar. Right now, the state wrestling tournament for the state of Louisiana is around the thirty second or thirty third week, somewhere around there. And if you push it back a little bit further, again, everything depends upon Mardi Gras. Mardi Gras really dictates a lot with what we do. So if we actually can move it back to the 36th week, we get past Mardi Gras every year. And that way we'll never run into a problem with Mardi Gras. So everything is based off the NFHS calendar, and we have to follow that. We can't go past the 36th week based off that calendar. So anywhere between the 32 to the 36th, week on the calendar we can have the state tournament well look we have some unique dynasties in our area and i spoke with um the head coach um daniel underwood of st thomas moore girls soccer and and they've got a dynasty going and so does turling's wrestling so let people know who may not be familiar with wrestling uh how much success y'all have had in the last decade well we we won our first state tournament, our first state championship uh, in 2011. Um, and that was a, we knew we had a really special team that year. And it was, uh, we weren't sure if we we're going to be able to sustain that kind of team for a number of years, but we have. And since 2011, we've won 10 of the last 12 division two state championships. And it's a, it's a, it's a pretty special thing. I never would have imagined we could be in this position to win that many. And then, you know, if we win this one, it's going to be 11 out of 13. So, you know, when you win that many, it's it, – and I have to think about it along these lines. I look at teams like Brother Martin and, and Jesuit and Holy Cross and New Orleans. These are schools – like Brother Martin has won like 22, 23 state championships. But their program has been around since 1972, 73. Jesuits won 27 state championships, and they've been around since the 1950s. We're, we've only been around for 22 years. And we've won ten, so I, I think I think that's that's pretty substantial, uh, a pretty substantial record when you when you look at it. All right, so tell me about who what what is what prospects look like this weekend. I know the seating kind of came out yesterday. 
Uh, did all the seats kind of work out kind of like you th- you thought or hoped? And, and what does the competition look like this year? Well, I think the, the team that can give us the biggest push is, is North DeSoto. Um, they're going to have a lot of guys that will, that will place somewhere in the top four or five. And they'll get points from placing in those spots. Um, we, have, we have all 14 wrestlers seated. And 13 out of 14 are in the top three, and we have one who's a four. Um, so our prospects look pretty good. The thing is is that there are a couple of weight classes where I don't think we got the seed we deserved, and it's not because we didn't do anything wrong. The seeding criteria dictated it. And, like, I'll give you an example. At 126 pounds, I have a young wrestler. His name is Brennan Boyer, and he is an an unbelievable wrestler. He's been wrestling 126 almost the entire year. And then when it comes time for the state seeding tournament, seeding for the tournament, what takes place is, other teams have moved wrestlers into that weight class that have almost no matches at 126 pounds. So while my kid has a body of work at 126 pounds, these other kids have come from other weight classes, but because of the seeding criteria, they get the seed over my kid. Now, it, it, it's a shame that it has to be that way, but that's, that's, you have to go by the seeding criteria. And so he's a three seed when he actually realistically should be a one. He won Ken Cole this year. He finished fourth at, at the Louisiana Classic. Now he's, he's an outstanding wrestler, and he's a three seed because you have other kids who have moved into the weight class. So the seeding criteria for the state tournament needs to, needs to be readjusted a little bit, and we, we have a plan how we're going to try to fix some things within the next couple of years. But overall, you know, we're, we're in a really good spot with all of our kids. We have nine number one seeds. Uh, we have one, two. Uh, we have one second seed. We have uh, three number three seeds and one number four seed. So, you know, we're if we do it right, we should place all fourteen kids, which should which would be remarkable. Now, y'all have done that how many times? Placed all placed 14. all fourteen. Uh, well, I'm trying to remember. I I don't think we've ever placed all fourteen. I think we've the most we've ever placed is thirteen. And nine number one seeds, is that on the high side from what you remember or about like? Yes, it, and it's on the high side, yeah. I, usually we come out of it with like six or seven, and then everybody else is somewhere between two and two and six. But having nine number one seeds, is, uh, that's, that's pretty substantial. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a large number. All right, so let let let, tell, let people know, I mean, you have a freshman wrestler that I know you're very excited about and – when he's done, has a chance, it sounds like, to be one of the better wrestlers in our area's history. It, he does. Uh, Alex Rosa, um, he's been wrestling since he was you know, four years old. Uh, he's, he's unbelievable in every aspect of, uh, of the sport. Uh, he's, he, his takedowns are, are remarkable. He's, he's, he actually takes control of the match from the get-go, and he never relinquishes anything in the match. Um, yeah, he's fifty-one and zero right now, uh, and, and to be freshman to be fifty-one and zero, he has the opportunity, you know, to finish to be our first undefeated wrestler. Now we also have another wrestler who's a senior this year. He's also undefeated. And he could be undefeated as well at the end of the season. So we've never had an undefeated wrestler, and this year we could have two, including with Alex at the, at, as a freshman. Um, you know, being at one hundred and six pounds is is a great weight class for him. He could also wrestle extremely well at one hundred and thirteen. Uh, he, he has the ability to wrestle anywhere 
in any weight class because, you know, he's, he's just that dominant at times. Um, and, you know, he, I've heard other coaches around the state all say the same thing. He could be, he could be one of the best freshmen in the state, state's history, and they, they could be right. And tell us about the other kid who's undefeated. Ethan Boudreau, uh, senior. He's a two-time state champion. He's a three-time finalist. Um, he is, I'll put it this way, he is so good uh, in, in so many different ways. Uh, he, he's relentless whenever he wrestles. He never, never stops wrestling. He is, he is in a weight class where people have left the weight class to get away from him. You know, people will vacate that weight class because they don't want to wrestle him because they want a chance at a state title. And then they, they feel like as though they can't beat him. So you know, his, his weight class doesn't have a whole lot of uh, competition in it because everybody, everybody's running away from him. Um, so, you know, it kind of tells you what kind of wrestler he is when you make people leave your weight class. All righty, sir. Well, I just wanted to let people kind of recognize y'all great accomplishment and um, going into and how well y'all have done and going into the state meet this weekend. And uh, and good luck to y'all, and thank you very much for your time, sir. Thank you. I appreciate all the time. This is Footnotes on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. We love talking about sports. Yeah. You love listening to sports. Yeah. Sounds like we were meant to be together, or at least friends with benefits. Aren't you glad you found us? Yep. Yep. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. We have with us UL men's basketball coach, Bob Moreland. How are you, coach? I'm good, Kevin. Thank you. How are you this morning? Oh, good. I'm not as good as you. A great night at the Cajun Dome on Saturday. Been We talked about that game for weeks, and I know y'all had to take a game for game, but we many fans and media members were looking forward to that game, and you know, no game of basketball, you're never going to play a perfect game, but it was pretty close to a perfect evening. Yeah, it was a, uh, a fun atmosphere. We had great environment for the game. Certainly the chicken came back, and we had some alumni back and former players back, and we had a ton of children there, and I think they really had a big time, whether they were basketball teams, junior high, or, or uh, bitty league, but we we're welcoming all the, the young people, and I hope they had a great evening. I think a lot of people left with smiles on their face. So the unique thing is, you know, no matter who you were playing, you'd have to prepare and be focused and challenge and all that, but you're not just playing any team to follow up on that game. You're you're tied for first place with Southern Miss at 10-2 and two in the league, and you're going to Hattiesburg, a team you played uh, about a month ago, at the Cajun Dome and playing the team that you're tied for first place, and they're going to be all fired up for this game, so it'll be quite a challenge. Yeah, we accept the challenge and know that to win it uh, on the road against a contender, that's how you win conference championships. So this game's for first place. It would have been either way 
uh, based on Saturday's game, but thank goodness we beat Marshall, and Marshall has beaten Southern Miss already. So we, we just need to stay right there in the group, and if things fall right, uh, the winner of this game will be in the driver's seat. All right, so obviously you want to win every game, and you would love to be the number one seed. That's what, That's all you can really play for at this point until you get to Pensacola. But from a bigger scope, in terms of the conference tournament, in, in your mind, obviously, again, you want to win the league, but is it more? Is it important to finish in the top four, the top two, or is it just really the top four that you really need to finish in? Well, I mean, we, we want to finish first, Kevin. I mean, that's the bottom line. We're not – the top four is important, yes, because four teams out of 14 will get a double bye and only have to play three games in Pensacola. Uh, but we're, we're playing to cut the nets down and, and win the championship. Now, do you feel like um, you've played almost every team, not every team? Is this a year where there's some unique matchups? Or do you, or do you, I mean, obviously every matchup's a little bit different, but I, it seems like I can remember more in past years. Well, well, you, you kind of match up with this team better than this team. I, I don't know that there's that situation this year. Well, we've got a lot of versatility on our bench and guys that could start that are coming off the bench, guys that play different roles. And we can play small. We can play big. Uh, we can do different things, Kevin. And that, that's just an advantage and one of the intangibles about this team. So, the, you know, again, you got asked in, in, the, um, in yesterday's press conference by someone, what has impressed you the most about this 10-game winning streak? And your answer was was preparation, which makes total sense. But I think if someone asked me that question, it would be what you just said, and probably the two go hand in hand is you were you've been able to win in different ways. Like some teams are great defensive teams, so if they play a high scoring game, you know, they're kinda like a fish out of water. You've been able to win when you shot well. You've been able to win when you didn't shoot well. You've been able to win when Jordan Brown scores a lot of points, and you've been able to win when Jordan Brown doesn't play or doesn't score any hardly very many points at all. It seemed like you found a lot of different ways to win. We have. We, we're, again, versatile team. We can do different things on both sides of the ball. And guys have stepped up, uh, Kevin, when Jordan was out. You know, Greg's been lights out the last couple of weeks, and and uh, we're tickled to death about his play and his consistency. And it's carried over to the group. Everyone's working extremely hard. And, um, you know, as you said earlier, yesterday we talked about staying the course. And I go yesterday to the film room and, and guys and they're talking, cutting up, and then the lights go dark and you don't hear a word for about 20 minutes. I mean, the guys are really soaking it up. They're doing a great job in their preparation uh, as we get ready for each game. All right, so Southern Miss, um, things went very well. You know, obviously, y'all were extra focused for that game because it you had just come played the first two games, you know, right around New Year's Day on the road, and, um, you know, you had no thought that nobody on your team thought y'all were going to be 0-2, and, and so y'all were very upset and extra focused. So what is the, you know, how is the matchup, you know, you expect it to be the exact same or some changes this time y'all play Southern Miss? It'll be somewhat different, uh, even though it will remain similar to, to a degree. But they've got a guard that was hurt the first time we played them that did not play that's a good player. Uh, and he makes uh, a difference with their team. 
but besides that, Kevin, everything else pretty much is the same, at least as we see it going into it. Um, I, I've asked you this question before, but, you know, again, you, you got to kind of figure like they're going to try something different, at least – is it your experience in all years that most coaches, when they lose, do they try something different, maybe just a different defensive matchup or something? Or do most coaches, in, in your experience, kind of that lost the first game, just try to kind of just hope they play better? Well, both. I think a lot of people just line up and play again. We certainly look at all tape, and everyone in our league does for that matter. They'll they'll study the tape and see if there's a matchup or something that they can do different. and. We always like to have a counter to our plays or an option or throw in a wrinkle, especially in the conference tournament, Kevin. That's when it's really important. And you, you catch somebody, they think they know exactly what you're going to do, and then, then you surprise them. All right. So there were I, I mentioned at the very top uh, of our interview that you're not going to play a perfect game. That's just that basketball's not set up that way. Really, no sport is. But – there were two negative uh, statistics from Saturday's 10-point win over Marshall. One of them is you had 17 turnovers, and the other one you had, uh, I think it was, what, 12 or 13 missed free throws. I'm a big free throw guy. I'm not so much worried about the turnovers. Or w- Which one bothers you the most long-term, and do you feel like guys like me talk too much about missed ter- free throws, or do you does that bug you as well? Well, yeah, I do think that the media talks too much about missed free throws, and I'll tell you why. Uh, we missed 11, and yes, we want to make more. We did a shooting d- drill at practice. I think we made 31 of 35 as a team, and then we came out and we missed some. And uh, But the thing about it, Kevin, is we, we got 10 more free throw attempts and outscored them from the free throw line. I mean, that's the bottom line, and, and that's because we're offensive rebounding and and doing what we need to do from that standpoint. The turnovers, uh, I was disappointed in because we had eight against Texas State on Saturday, on Thursday. We've had single digits on several teams. Uh, you know, and Themis Fultz has had a nine-assist, one-turnover game. And uh, so I thought we threw it away a little bit too much. You know, Themis wound up seven and seven. Uh, a couple of times I thought he was fouled. They didn't call it. But regardless, we made some mental mistakes. And I'd like to cut about five of the turnovers out and then finish those two lob plays that we missed. Do you feel like, you know, you mentioned going into that game, you had to calm them down a little bit. I I, I would think that they were a, a little more jacked up for that game than, than most games. And I kind of feel like that might have contributed, trying to do a little bit too much on a few of those turnovers. Yeah, it could be. Uh, Marshall leads the league in steals. We had more steals than they did, by the way. Uh, they lead the league in a lot of offensive categories, and and we just made some poor decisions. They got great length too, Kevin. They they seven feet. Kinsey and Obina. Taylor's a big guard. Kerfman's are smallest starter, so they've got excellent size. Well, it's 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 gonna it's it sounds like it's gonna be a great atmosphere in Hattiesburg, uh, like it was at the Cajun Dome on Saturday, and I think that's good. I mean, I 
I, I you know, uh, we talked before. I, I think this Southern Miss rivalry in all the sports, it's already started in, in baseball, and I don't think it's going to take very much time in football and in basketball. It's going to, you know, 10 years down the road, it's going to probably be your biggest rival. I could see that happening, and this is kind of a big start to that, I think, Thursday night. Yeah, it's a, a great opportunity and one for our fans to uh, come and support us in the rivalry. And we've actually got alumni put a bus together yesterday morning, Kevin. And anyone interested in riding a bus over there can go to LouisianaAlumni.org. And uh, I think the cost is $100. It pays for your ticket, a couple of meals, uh, food and be- or beverages, obviously, and then uh, going and coming. And I think they're going to leave at 3 and return right back home after the game. So you'll be back home around 1 o'clock. All right, sir. We appreciate your time as always. Congratulations. You're off. You know, you got your 20th win, which, you know, I'm not too old to remember. That was a big deal uh, to get 20 wins, and you've already got it. So congratulations and good luck on Thursday, Coach. Well, thanks, Kevin. And the 20 wins, uh, you know, only 10 teams in the country have 20 wins, and two of them are playing Thursday night. So – also, we we ranked uh, third in the college insider poll behind St. Mary's and Gonzaga, and Southern Miss is ranked sixth, and Marshall still ranked in the top twenty. So, uh, Sun Belt's been doing well, and we we look forward to the opportunity to to go to Hattiesburg and play. Good luck, Coach. Thank you. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Great news, my sports-loving friend. No more aimlessly searching for sports talk love by swiping left or right. That's because you've already found the perfect match. For Sports Talk Love, that is... I'm ready for love. Now, back to the only lover you'll ever need. The game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. That'll be it for the interviews for today. So we'll have open phone lines. There's still time in this segment if you would like to or in the entire second hour. I know we talked a little wrestling and a lot of people uh, who listen probably maybe have never even witnessed high school wrestling. But I know a lot of you are MMA guys and I'm not an MMA guy, but long before they were famous in MMA, guys like Dustin Poirier and Daniel Cormier, I was covered in the high school level in wrestling, and um, remember remember them. And and I'm certainly no expert, but I can. It it doesn't take very long to watch it to say to just imagine what they go through and how phys, You know, they're, 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 there's no getting saved out there. It's two guys out on the mat. I mean, it's. It's tough. I would never even dream about doing that. Um, but it was um, – but it, it's um, – no, it's – like I said, last week, we don't, don't talk a lot about high school soccer either, but we, we do have two special kind of dynasties at their level. Personally, I wish they would all – they would both move up 
I, I kind of ran out of time. I, I didn't get a chance to talk to Ken about that like we did with Daniel uh, the week before. But, um, you know, wh- however you feel about all that subject, it, it is a situation where, um, you know, you just enjoy and, and recognize their success. And, and, again, he has 10 state champions. And what's so funny, if you know Kent, he, you know, some people joke they're wrong, but they, they joke that I'm negative when it comes to sports. And um, Kent is, you know, probably even more on the Eeyore side than the than some people perceive me. And it's kind of hard to get away with that when you've won 10 state championships in a 12-year stretch. So it's kind of funny if you don't get um, He, um, of course, you know, he well, he's an Alabama fan. And so, you know, obviously, if you pull for Alabama, you'll win a lot, uh, depending on how old you are. But even even when you're old like like we are, um, you, you've mostly won a lot. But he's also a Padre fan, so their success has kind of been up and down. And the, he's a Saints fan, and their success has you know, had periods where they were not good and periods when they were good, so. You know he he he's kind of uh, uh, up and down in that area, but no, I, I I've all always enjoyed talking to Ken. And for those of you who aren't as old, Kent years ago used to be a sports anchor at Channel Three, and so a lot of people knew Kent in the media before he became a coach. I mean, this was back in the '90s, getting to be a long time ago now. But um, but yeah, some of you will remember Kent as as a sports anchor. He he's from New Orleans and played at Brother Martin, so. No, a lot, lots of fun there. But getting to some of the things that Coach Marlin was talking about, this matchup Thursday in Hattiesburg, uh, the Cajuns have won 11 home games in a row. Southern Miss has won 12 home games in a row. The Cajuns are riding a 10-game overall winning streak right now. Southern Miss has won seven in a row. Um, the Cajuns are 20-4 and four and 10-2. and two. Southern Miss is 21-4 and four and 10-2. and two. So it's really a nice matchup. Did you go to the first game, Dawson, or did you not see that in person? I was not there, but uh, I did see the game, and it felt like it didn't feel like a great matchup at that at the time. But you mentioned it. I mean, you all was kind of playing in not yeah. desperation mode, but they knew they needed a win, and they yeah. came out focused. I, I don't. And... I I trying to caution myself to think because really the Cages weren't really challenged in that game. Um, but but I really think again, I coaches like Coach Marlin, they don't really believe in circumstance games. They 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 you know he says it almost every week, multiple times every week. It's it's who plays the best, and that's true. But I do think like certain games, you just like the Cajuns are a, were a good team. We saw that early on, and when a good team plays at home and they're zero and two, they're gonna win. I mean, I remember thinking. Yeah, it looks bad that they're playing this Southern Miss team that's got all these wins, but if you're a good team and you're playing at home and you've been on a losing streak, you're going to win. And let, you know, I'm not saying if they were playing like Gonzaga or someone, they would win. But if you're playing someone on your level or just barely above your level perhaps, um, you're going to win. And so I, I just – I'm trying not to put too much stock in that game because I think the Cadres were going to win that game because they, they're just too good of a team to be 0-3. Yeah, and this one's tough, though, because it is going to be a really tough environment. I think Southern Miss has already said that they've they've sold a lot of tickets to that game. They're expecting it to be very full, if not sold out. And 
the way the schedule's set up, UL's got I'm I know I'm looking ahead to this, but that's like an impossible road trip to James Madison that week where you play Monroe at home on Thursday and then you have to travel all the way to Harrisonburg yeah, on Saturday. Ridiculous. Yes. I'm almost marking that down as a loss. And Southern Miss doesn't play any of the top three of UL Marshall and James Madison after they play UL on Thursday. So you, you're going to need to win this game if unless you want to count on Southern Miss losing down the stretch to try to win the regular season title. So I um, Look, you want to win. I mean, and like, like Coach Moran said, you want to win every game. On paper, this does not look like a good circumstance game for the Cajuns. They're coming off a really nice win, an emotional win, and had a lot of fun. It was great. Saturday was great. But again, and I, and the, the, the storyline I did from yesterday's presser at storyoftheadvocate.com and in the paper today is that Thursday in Hattiesburg is going to be the Southern Miss what Saturday was to the Cajuns and the Cajun Dome. And so it's going to be a big game. They've been looking forward to it for a long time. Again, I really think this UL Southern Miss rivalry is going to be great for years to come. I think it's great for both programs, great for the Sunbelt Conference. Uh, this is going to be a tough one. If they get this one, it's going to, might be the most impressive win of the year just because of the circumstances. We'll see how it plays out. Another hour to follow. Stay tuned. Broadcasting live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette. Two hours of sports talk like none other. Footnotes with your host, Kevin Foote. Welcome into Footnotes. Kevin Foote on the game. Simulcast on Stadium 32.3 and 133 on LUS5. The game hotline is 337-706-0111. Again, the game hotline will be open this entire hour. So if you want to talk Super Bowl, Cajun basketball, or whatever you would like, Saints, quarterback scenarios, Pelicans, Pelicans play again tonight. They will um, be going for a third straight win, and we'll see what happens. I mean, I kind of like their chances of winning tonight, I got to tell you, at home and against the um, Hawks, and we'll see um, how that plays out. So we'll continue to to monitor them. I got to tell you, one thing I really like about the Pelicans is their red jerseys look really good. You know, I'm, I'm kind of a uniform guy, and, um, I mean, you know, it is what it is. You know, the Saints have a lot – I've worn a lot of what I consider ugly uniforms over the years. And, and, like, the black on black with the black leotards to me are ugly, but they typically – they won a lot of games with them. So, I don't, in the end, I don't really care where, care more about winning than the uniforms. But if you got a choice, you might as well look good. So, I, I really like the Pelicans red uniforms. They, so, they, they, they've got some good ones. But um, – and like what the Lakers wore, I know it was old school on Saturday, but it it did it doesn't look good. I I'm just not into if you're relatively new, then I get it, change your uniform. But if you're an old school program or organization like the Lakers and the Celtics, you just can't change your uniform. It's just awful. It's just awful to me. Well, what I really can't stand is what's becoming really common in the NBA, which I understand the point of it. It's like these city edition uniforms yeah. are different where you're like create, but like when you're completely abandoning the team colors and you're just like wearing a completely unrelated uniform that's like got 
Like if, if the Pelicans, which they don't have one, theirs is Mardi Gras, so it makes sense. But like if the Pelicans were to come out with just this like orange and turquoise uniform and they're like, oh, well, it has to do with the history of the city. But I'm like, OK, but I don't even know who's playing when I look on the TV. Oh, absolutely. The, the, and we didn't talk about this, I don't believe, when it happened. But Major League Baseball apparently passed some sort of rule for this year. I don't know how long that you can only have four uniforms. And so one of the things that came out of it is. You know, I call them bat and practice uniforms. I think it's silly to wear a bat and practice uniform. This is a game, cat. Put your bat and practice uniforms up. But um, the Seattle Mariners are no longer going to have one of their four options is not going to be their road gray uniforms, which is like the ultimate in baseball tradition. You got to have a road gray uniform. And the Mariners aren't going to have one this year. So um, I always said that's Asian, that's un American. So I guess that fits. What is the point of limiting the uniforms for the MLB? I don't. I don't know. I. I it would probably some. I probably some people would tell you that kind of feel like uniforms of like we do is like it's getting out of hand. Too many crazy uniforms. But you know these seasonal City Connect uniforms, like the Astros had a City Connect uniform. Space everybody loved. It. I thought it was hideous, but whatever. I mean, I. I, I don't really care that much. But to me. Like the Astros, their home whites don't really look – they look okay. They're not – their road grays are the best-looking uniform probably the Astros have ever had. Like I really like their some the uniforms they wore in the 60s, early 70s. But um, their road grays right now look really good. So And I think Seattle's road grays look good, so that's a shame. Yeah, that's that's going to be weird, though. And then, I mean, the, uh, the All-Star game is that, you know, because everyone wears your own uniform but gray – or did, didn't they change that last year? They started yeah, wearing an all-star I uniform. They, I think they have an all-star uniform now, yeah. Which I used to like that. Everybody just wearing their own uniform, but obviously everybody has a white uniform and everybody has a gray uniform, so it just worked out. But, but not anymore. Oh, well. All right, some uh, breaking news that happened was sent to us. Um, a big announcement for the Lafayette Tourism, um, and which is headed by Ben Berthelot, old friend of mine who worked with many, many years ago, covered when he played high school basketball at STM, but he's the president and CEO of the Lafayette Convention and Visitors Commission. And Lafayette has been chosen uh, to host the U.S. Olympic Trials for the 2024 Olympics in the sport of boxing. So um, from December the 1st through the 9th, which will be interesting because I – Right around the 9th is 10th is probably when the state football championships are going to be. Enough to, I'll have to look that up. But uh, from the 1st through the 9th, the Lafayette Cajunoma Convention Center, uh, the U.S. Olympic boxing team trials will be held in Lafayette for the 2024 Summer Olympics. So if you're a big fan of the Olympics or just the sport of boxing, uh, or just, you know, it's a pretty big event. And so it it, it will, um, I'm sure we'll be talking more about that as we get closer. That's, you know, a long ways away. He's eight months away from now. Oh, no, 11 months away from now. But still, it's, it's at the end of this year and a huge event. And so congratulations to all in, that were involved to try to get that to Lafayette. Um, re- the recent ones in 2012, it was in Mobile, Alabama. Um, in 2016, it was in Reno, Nevada. And uh, ironically, they must like it down south because in 2020, it was in Lake Charles. So it's in Lafayette, 
uh, this year. Again, December 1st through the 9th, the U.S. Olympic team trials for boxing will take place in Lafayette. So, again, congratulations to Ben and all the people in that organization that got that. I'm sure it's going to be economically really good for the for the um, community and as well as um, if you're a big boxing fan or Olympic fan, I'm sure a lot of fans will, will, will enjoy that, and I'm sure there will be plenty as we get closer news updates. Uh, in that category. All right, again, the game hotline is 706-0111, 706-0111 if you would like uh, to get in. In the first hour, we had a few people call, talk about their first Super Bowl memories. I, that was a little bit more of a spur of the question, moment question for Dawson. But no, that sounds, again, my – Raymond came in and teased me because, you know, he's a Redskin fan. So I guess the next you're going to talk about the Redskins and the Raiders. That was a uh, that I remember that Redskin Raiders Super Bowl. I was in high school and that was a um Stalin Mussolini kind of game for me. I, you know, did not like the Raiders growing up. Um did not like the Redskins growing up. And so I I didn't like either one of those teams. But I was not yet in the, at a time where I wouldn't I wouldn't watch the game. Um, but no, I was um, I don't tell anyone, but I was actually pulling for the Raiders in that game. Just don't tell my wife that. But I didn't know her then, so it's okay. Uh, but no, I I, I actually enjoy because the Redskins. Joe Thiesman was just nauseating. I'm sorry. I, he's just he was nauseating. Uh, I don't really have anything against um, the coaching staff or any. And by the way, we never mentioned Bobby Beathard died last week. He was a big part of some of a lot of that Redskins success. But no, I, I don't have anything against Joe Gibbs. Never disliked Joe Gibbs, but never was a big fan of Thiesman and. Um, or, nor was I ever a fan of the Redskins. So uh, I actually enjoyed watching them get their face crushed 38-9. to nine. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. The first Super Bowl I remember was uh, Walter pa- uh, the Bears versus the uh, Patriots. Now, I remember. Like I said, I remember watching the game. I mean, I'm sorry. I remember my cousins because um, I have people from uh, Chicago. Chicago is from Chicago. Um, I remember that. I also remember the next year, Giants and Broncos. But the Super Bowl that I remember as in, like, sat down and watched, like, like this started it all for me. Like, like this started it all, like, in a sense. Like, I said, that was Redskins versus the Broncos. And just watching that game, man, just um, Doug Wayne's been from Zachary. Just the whole thing, man. You know, his wife died. Like, they were telling the backstory. Just that second quarter, I just came out, just went out, man. Just threw those four touchdown passes. Uh, John Elway, you know, of course, he got – it was defeated the year before. <clears throat> and just, you know, again, he just got defeated. Got blasted again in that one. And, of course, he'll get blasted two years later. But watching that game, man, because uh, I think Denver went up quick in that one. I think Elway hit – who was that, Jackson or Nato? I don't remember. TV? Well, they had Mark Jackson – uh, I don't remember who caught the pass, Jeez, but yeah, I want. They were up ten nothing, weren't they? Clarence K. That was K. Huh? Oh, Clarence K. Oh, from Georgia. Yeah. 
Was it K? Yeah, could have been K. I, I, I'd have to go back and look. I don't. I don't remember. But, uh, but yeah, they were. Yeah, they were. Excuse me, they were up ten zero. Like you yeah. said, ten nothing. Uh, what forty two ten? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and, and, and the really amazing that, thing that, was Timmy Smith. Huh? Like yes, Timmy yes, Smith was a no name, and he had this superhuman game. It's like where, and then he kind of never did anything. He did. Yeah, substance abuse, man. You know, I'm sure that game to him just catapulted out to that. I'm sure just got to him just too much to overwhelm with success. You know, he was he was done, man. You know, the the cocaine got to him. But um, hey, man, yeah, you know, I started rooting for this thing. The them Redskins teams, man. Team, <laughs> Dave Butt, I think he died last year. Uh, Manly, Charles Man, just that defense, man. Green, <laughs> I met uh, Daryl Green when I was, when I was at Como, man. He came came to Como, you know, motivational. And I, I I got a chance to meet him. I'm asking football questions. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yes, man. The, the Redskins teams, man. Art Monk, like I just love the receivers, man. Gary Clark and Sanders. Um, I just miss that that football that period. Cause, uh, cause you know what? I remember, like I said, I was in the, I was in the third grade. Cause you know what's so crazy? I think that game came on ABC, man. But you know why? Because uh, after the Super Bowl was the first episode of uh, the Wonder Year, and um, yeah, it's it, funny it, that you remember that because I remember distinctly. Uh, when the Do- when the Redskins beat the Dolphins, I believe that would have been the '82 season. Uh, 83 Super Bowl, right after that was the first episode of the A-Team with Mr. T. <laughs> it's little memories like that, yes. man. And like I said, Doug Williams, of course, making history. Like, I, it's just being the first black quarterback. Just, it, it was just, it was, it, was a, it was a big moment in the house, man. It was, um, uh, I can imagine. Yes, sir. You know, it's so crazy. Hold on, hold on. I've been, I think it's too much time. One more thing. The next uh, next year, I moved to Hattiesburg, right? I was in Tucson at the time, but I moved to Hattiesburg. That's uh, where my mom's really from. My dad's from Prentice. He was in Judge Davis County. But anyway, um, I bought a uh, Scalette. had a book fair, right, at, at the elementary school I was going to. I was attending at the time. And I bought uh, the Scholastic. This, this started my love of football, man. I bought a Scholastic. Uh, you know, for the year, yes. telling you what the year in the review, whatever. And Doug Williams was on the cover, and I bought that book. And that started a love affair, man. I'm talking about that's when I still had a, lo- a, a ways to go in the semi. But my, my dad, you know, he's the type of man, you know, he, I watched the game with him, but he didn't say too much. <laughs> so I kind of had to learn. You know, he told little yeah. things, but I had to learn the game on my own, man. And that book, that that book, and of course video games will help, but that book started it, man, with uh, the NFL. All right, thank you. All right, thank you. We'll take a timeout and be back. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. King cake season is here and break rooms are being filled with those delicious sugar-coated pastries. That is so sweet. Just don't be the guy or gal who gets the plastic baby and lies about it. Come on. Come on, really. Step up and do the right thing, cheapskate, and buy the next cake. Back to more of the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Want to remind you the game hotline is 706-0111. 706-0111. If you would like to get in, uh, we talked about some first Super Bowl memories today. I, I kind of like when, you know, something like that kind of spontaneously happens and people give their opinions. Not necessarily, sometimes they're playing, but this one wasn't really planned. And it's just kind of cool. So, it, it, it kind of ages some of us when our first Super Bowl memory. I'm sure there are those out there who remember the first Super Bowl, which to my understanding wasn't even called the Super Bowl at the time. Um, what was that? The the Chiefs and the Packers. I know the Chiefs played the Packers and the Raiders. I always forget which one they played. Um, and, the and you know, I doubt it looked – I mean, it's well, I don't doubt it. Nothing like the Super Bowl is now. Even in the 70s, it was big, but it wasn't like it is now. But, um, kind of, um, but no, it, it's, I'm sure there are people who have been to every one. It's amazing. Uh, I, I'm sure that number is really small now, but it seemed like I saw a feature last year or the year before of, of a couple of people who, who, who have been to every one. It's, um, I haven't even watched them all. I just sometimes I just get so disgusted. I just I just can't I just can't watch. All right, let's go to the game hotline. Hello. Hey Kevin. Howdy, um, sir. So the first Super Bowl that I remember actually rooting for someone was so uh, we got one on Go ahead. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Uh the first Super Bowl I remember watching that I actually rooted for someone was uh, Dallas and Pittsburgh. When, the, uh, the first one or the second? Also, the second one in '96. See, I wasn't. I was old enough to know that I wasn't supposed to watch. That I wasn't going to watch San Francisco demolish uh, San Diego there before. Oh yeah, that was sick. You know, I, I wasn't. I wasn't even going to wait. Actually, the third one. The Cowboys have played the Steelers three times. So you're talking about the third one in '96. Yeah, okay, when, yeah, uh, that's the third one. Yeah. Larry Brown made like. <laughs> He returned two. Was it two interceptions for touchdowns? I don't remember. He had two but picks. Like I don't remember if they were both pick sixes, but yeah, he had two picks. And he made like a career uh, yes. after that. You know, or like he got paid after. Yeah, that. he got paid after that. Yes. Yeah, uh, from Oakland. But yeah, um, I just remember like being so mad that that happened because I, I was rooting hard against you know Dallas. You know, when I was young in that age. Uh, everyone was cowboy I'll, fans I'll, all over the place, or right. they pretend to be. But um, <clears throat> yeah, and like, I actually gave up on the game, and then my my, my dad was like, "Man, they, they just did an onside kick and recovered it." Uh, Steelers did. And I think that's like the, what the first time it happened in the Super Bowl. Oh, that so. I don't remember. There anyway, wasn't one. There wasn't an onside kick recovery in that. Seemed like the, there was something weird with special teams when that in the in the Redskins Dolphins Super Bowl. But anyway, but no, I, I certainly certainly remember that. I, again, I guess I'm a little unique because I, I never I, I thought I always the Steelers were a Gestapo team for me. Didn't pull for the Steelers, uh, the Vikings, the Raiders. Those were the NFL Gestapo teams to me. I, I never pulled well, for them other than I pulled for the Steelers in the very first one because they played the Vikings and I hate the Vikings so. I pulled for the Steelers in that one. After that, I never pulled and for them again. Another one that was cool, it's like, you know, they got demolished. But when Denver uh, played Atlanta, 
at that point, I was like, man, if they can do it, we can do it. Too. Oh, absolutely. You know? I had the very same thought. I I, uh, I was glad Denver beat them, but I was glad Atlanta made the Super Bowl because I was like, I just rem- I vividly that- remember being there when they were celebrating that night and coming home and saying, man, we can go to the Saints and go to – well, I always kind of knew because I'm on the on glass half full side of being a fan, but I always kind of knew they could do it. But but when that, when Atlanta did it, I really knew the Saints could go to the Super Bowl. Yes. Because, like, uh, I don't know, you had your regulars go there, you know. Yes. In Dallas. And, and like, Atlanta was, like, this newcomer. You, you know, I mean. No, I agree. Of, I, I, anyway. I, I agree. All right, Kevin, appreciate it. Take care. No, look, I I remember those, those Steelers-Cowboys Super Bowls of the 70s were just sickening. I mean, I did not pull for the Steelers. Certainly pulled for the Cowboys. And, uh, again, I kind of – I know I'm a lot of Saints fans in this area. Hey, and again, I get why, because of all the cocky Cowboy fans, and that's why I try to remind cocky Cowboy fans in this area now that get that hate the Saints. I'm like, for what? You just hate the Saints because they've got your number, had your number for a while, and had more success. Well, that's your fault because. If you're you or your forefathers, cowboy fans, weren't so cocky for two, for two or three decades, and it wouldn't there wouldn't be all that animosity. So it's really your fault. It's cowboy fans' fault. Um, but but no, I I pulled for the Cowboys on all those Super Bowls. I hated. I did not pull for the Steelers. No 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 question there. All right, let's go back to the game hotline. Hello. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, my earliest recollection of uh, the Super Bowl, which is now fading in my in my uh, wonderful brain, is uh, 1970. I was a sophomore in high school, and also a uh, season ticket holder with with my dad for uh, the Saints game, and we were lucky enough to get um, um, Chiefs Vikings tickets. And in uh, old Tulane Stadium, absolutely and, uh, oldest Taylor. Oh yeah, and I still remember we were we were in that that south end zone. Um, you know when, when he when he caught the little the, the little out pass and faked the guy and shook him off and ran into the end zone. But we were you know we were and I don't know if you remember that far back, but you know a lot of us here. Even before the Saints, I mean, we were, you know, we were AFL fans, not AFC fans. We were AFL fans because there was a lot of teams in the AFL that had players from the Southeastern Conference on their rosters. So we just kind of naturally followed them. But I can remember after the game, because <laughs> we weren't that rich, we took a bus, you know, from the Gentilly area down to Claiborne Avenue and we walked, you know, Nashville street to the, to the stadium. But when we were leaving, we we're waiting for the bus and an ambulance pulled up and we saw a Vikings helmet inside the ambulance. And it was Joe cap, huh. the quarterback, the quarterback for the Vikings. I mean, he, he was getting harassed and, and uh, I want to say he spent the night in a hospital. You know, after the game, if if you want to try to verify, yeah, that. Well, I, I, I mean, still it makes remember. sense. Yeah, yeah, 
I mean, the, the Kansas City defensive line just, just ate him up, you know. And uh, But that's my earliest recollection, you know, from a long time ago. <laughs> no, that, that's, that's a very memorable Super Bowl. I appreciate those memories very much, sir. Thank you. All right, bud. Joe Cap was the head coach at Cal later in the famous band, Stanford Cal band game. Um, no, I, I've often wondered – Otis Taylor and Lance Allworth were the two prettiest runners I've ever seen. They both ran like reindeer. And I and like no one runs that way anymore. Like, is that I wonder, I'd love to I probably need to talk to like our, you know, our old buddy Tommy Battle on one of these track guys. Like, do they did they did they just stop teaching people to run that way? They were the most beautiful, graceful runners, Lance Allworth and Otis Taylor, that I've ever seen. And no one really runs like they run any, like they ran back then. If you just just watch, like call up a Lance Allworth highlight or that Otis Taylor famous highlight where he caught the pass and ran up the sidelines in that Super Bowl four. At Tulane State, they just ran so gracefully and beautifully, and people just don't run that way anymore. It's weird. I I, I wonder if, like, I mean, I have no idea what the answer to that question is, but, like, I wonder if it's just that's just not how they teach you how to run anymore. But those guys were, were something. And that's probably, I mean, I don't know, but why they – Lance Allworth's nickname was Bambi. Like, and to me, he ran like a deer. I don't know if that's why they called him that, but – it was um, no beautiful runners, and um, that was right before my time. I was four years old when that happened, so I have zero memory of that. I mean, my eyes theoretically might have been watching TV then, but I have zero memory of it. But I certainly wouldn't have pulled for the Vikings. I can tell you that I would have been pulling for the for the Chiefs. Vikings. I don't pull for the Gestapo team. It's one of them ugly, stupid Vikings. Never did like the Vikings. And they've been torturing me my whole life. Maybe that's probably why I don't like them. But no, that, that's a, that's a great first. And of course, the one the year before that was the the famous one in Miami when the Jets beat beat the Colts. So, and I've heard you know numerous stories and read scenes. You know, but yeah, I didn't. I, I'm not quite that old. I was three and four when those two Super Bowls happened. Zero memories of those. All right, that'll do it for this one. More phone calls on the other side. Stay tuned. This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Here on Footnotes, you may not always exactly hear what you want to hear, but you will hear what you need. And of course, I got all these, oh, you're an idiot. You know, what kind of Saints fan are you? Look, I'm not telling you what I want to happen. I'm telling you what's going to happen, what more than likely is going to happen. Back to more of the sports talk you need to listen to with footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game, the game hotline, 706-0111, 706-0111. We've talked wrestling, boxing, 
Um, UL basketball coach to co- talk to Coach Marlin. We people have been given the their first Super Bowl that they remember, and any stories they have about that. That's kind of started organically, which I kind of like those the best, actually. Um, and so, uh, any of that that you would like to to discuss, certainly feel free to give us a call before. We go back to the game hotline. I do want to mention, yesterday we talked on the show about what happened Saturday afternoon at the Cajun Dome. And we did not know what the conference's opinion of it was, but found that out at yesterday's press conference. And if you don't know what, what I'm talking about, at the very end of the overtime period in the Cajun women's basketball game against Troy, the Cajuns... It was, you know, 11 seconds to go when the foul act. The clock's running down. The Cajuns are up by one. They've got the ball. They're dribbling around, passing it back and forth among their guards, somewhere between the top of the key and the and the and the, and the mid court and half court. And standing in the corner is Kyra Wren, who's like the center, uh, 29% free throw shooter. She's in there to play defense and rebound. And a Troy girl just goes over to her and grabs her. And they call a foul. And Coach Broadhead is screaming, that's intentional foul. You can't do that. And and the official said, yes, you can. And they sent her to the line. She missed both free throws. And um, Troy got the ball, and they hit a shot with 1.8 seconds that bounced and bounced in, and they, and they beat the Cajuns by one. Well, Coach Broadhead revealed, and we were discussing our opinions of that. Not We, we kind of said that, that, that doesn't look right. That, that was like. If that's legal, then they need to change the rules, essentially what I said yesterday. But uh, he said he got a call from the assignment secretary, the head of the officiating for the Sunbelt Conference, and they said they, they did not do that right. So if you were listening to yesterday's conversation or just heard about it, it doesn't matter whether you like women's basketball or not, it's a rules situation, uh, they botched it. And I guess that doesn't 100% guarantee that the Cajuns were going to win but essentially what the rule was, he was told, is that when you intentionally foul way away from the ball like that, the team gets to choose who shoots the free throws. So obviously they were not going to choose Kyra Wren. They were going to probably, I mean, I would have chose um, um, Nubia Benedict, but I don't know if she was on the floor for sure at that time. I think she was, or or probably Tamara. And they would have made one or, or even Destiny. All three of them are good free throw shooters. Uh, made one or both of those, and you get the ball. So the Cajuns, with, with 11 seconds, would have been going to the line with a good free throw shooter and guaranteed possession, whether they made one or both or none of the free throws. So I guess not impossible they could have lost, but basically they would have won the game. I mean, I, um, ha- had they made the correct ruling. And again, that's awful. That's awful. But this is Sunbelt Conference women's basketball. They should have a way to solve that issue. That's my point. It's... The official messed it up, no question. They botched it. Uh, someone on that crew should have should have made sure the right thing happened. But I I can almost see how the Sunbelt Conference doesn't have a failsafe there. What's inexcusable, and I argued for decades, and I'll continue to argue till I'm blue in the face, and it is that. If you're the NFL and you're playing a playoff game or the Super Bowl, how can you not have a failsafe when something like that happens? How can you allow an official's mistake to determine the winner of that of a huge game that you know there's millions of dollars being bet on? I just it's inexcusable that they still don't have that fixed. 
And I think we're now just now taking the first. And we've been talking about Super Bowls going back 50 years now. I'm the same age as the Super Bowl, so I'm turning 57. This is Super Bowl 57. And and we still maybe just now are taking the first steps towards fixing that. And the re- why is that? Because they don't care about fairness. I've been preaching that for decades, and it's true. They don't care about being fair. Let's go to the game hotline. Hello. No, they don't, Kevin. <laughs> Kevin, you, you know me. I'm, I'm looking at that game against Southern Miss Thursday. <laughs> I actually think we might need to lose that game, Kevin, because – what I'm seeing is we're gonna meet we're gonna meet them fools again in the in, in, in the uh, the tournament uh, at the end of the year, and I would not feel comfortable playing them if we had beat them twice in the year. Well, I understand that sentiment for sure. I preached that before. Are you convinced though? I I know there are two games. I'm not. I don't know. I'm and I see their records. I see the standings. Are you convinced that the Cajuns and Southern Miss are the two best teams in the league? I actually, I think the team that's third behind us too. I think it's us too, but I, I think we the, the, the conversation also. James Madison is pretty damn good too, Kevin, and they're not getting the recognition they deserve. I think they're better than Marshall, and that's why I'm really going to be scared when we go play them over there. That's why I think we might even fall to a three seed. I could see that scenario happening, but I, I do not think Southern Miss is the second best team. No, I don't. That's what you actually. Yeah, it's possible James Madison is. So I, that's why I asked that. But, again, James Madison, they, it's their own fault. They lost four games. I mean, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll see how they do down the stretch, and I'd have to look and see what their schedule looks like from here on. But you're right. The circumstances for the Cajuns at Southern Miss and at James Madison don't seem good on paper. And I also agree with your point, FedEx man. Like the Cajuns, while I was upset for Gary and the girls that they didn't win the game, if they play Troy in the Symbol Conference semifinals or finals, say, let, I mean, we don't know that they're going to, but if they do, I kind of like their chances after going 0-2 in overtime games against them. Yes, exactly, Kevin. Kevin, I'm looking at other things, too. In the Sun Belt, the number one seed, how have they been there in the last couple of years? Not too good, huh? No. The men's well, side, last – was Georgia State – who? what were they Texas last year? No, no, te- Texas yeah, Texas State, State won the last Texas two State years. The- yes, yes, yeah, they won the last two years, yes. Right, right. Texas State was the number one seed last year. Yes, I know that. Yes. We beat them. And the year before. But, I mean, I'm yeah. just saying, most of the time, the number one seed in the Sun Belt tournament does not fair Yeah, well. it so, doesn't always yeah, happen. Look, it, it'd be great to win the, uh, win the title that we get automatic NIT trip, but I don't care about that. My goal is to win that at the end of the year in this tournament. That's all my goal is, Kevin. That's it. I understand. Thank you. What were you going to say, sir? Well, <clears throat> I, under- I agree about James Madison. I've been talking about them for like a week now, but what I'll say about them and from kind of going back, and I saw them play a couple times early in the year. When they're at their best, I think they're the most talented team in the con- in the conference, even more so than UL. Like, they can score 100 points in a game, but they're also the most inconsistent of any of the good teams in the conference. They lost a the game to Coppin State, who's like 5-18 and 18 overall. Uh, but they also played Virginia to within five points, who's a top five. Is team. that because they're not a great defensive team, or They're why not is great that? defensively. Um but then they, they, they're weird, though, because they played Virginia. The final score of that game was 55-50, and then a week later they lost to Coppin State, like 108 to 101 in double overtime. So they've played a variety of games. I don't, I, don't, they're, I don't know why they're inconsistent. I don't know. I haven't looked into if they have a lot of veteran guys or not. Maybe they're just young. But, like, when they play their best game, they can beat anybody. And the, the, the scary thing is they're starting to be a little bit more consistent because they've won 
a few games in a row now, and they're getting more confident. And again, I, I do think I'm not going to be worried if UL loses that game in J, at James Madison because I think it's an impossible uh, task to try to go on the road in two days after you play Monroe at home. But that is a team in the tournament that it's going to be – I would hope that we wouldn't match up with them until the championship. I'd, play, I'd feel better playing Marshall or Southern Miss than James Madison right now. Now we'll see. Maybe the Cajuns will match up well against them when they play them uh, next week, and we'll find out. Again, I, you know, the Cajuns never trailed against Marshall, but if you go back and watch that game, Marshall missed a lot of easy shots. I mean, easy shots. They were missing them like crazy. So um, I, what I'm saying is if they rematch, I'm not going to be surprised if it's a much closer game than with the K. And plus, again, when they play them, if they rematch them in Pensacola, the atmosphere is going to be totally different than it was at the Cajun Dome on Saturday. I, I'm more of a circumstance guy, again, like than a lot of head coaches and analysts are. And I, I think that 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 don't that would make for for a, a pretty different matchup in those. I just don't know anything about James Madison. Like you said, you've seen him. I'm just, I just don't really know enough about James Madison. Um, to know, like, maybe they were injured when they lost some of these games. We just, you know, I just don't know that much about them. But I, that's why I asked FedEx man that question. Are you, or how convinced are we that Southern Miss and the Cajuns are not head and shoulders, but, you know, a little bit of cut above? They might be, and time will tell on that. But um, I don't know that I'm convinced of that. Well, and, you know, the funny thing I was thinking about last night is that you're still waiting for one of these like heavy hitters at the top of the conference to go and win a big road game <laughs> against one of the other top teams. Because right now the only team in the top half of the standings that's really done that is Monroe, who went to Marshall and beat Marshall on the road. So, you know, when, when Marshall came to UL, UL won the game. When Southern Miss came to UL, UL won the game. When um, Southern Miss went to Marshall, Marshall won the game. So somebody's going to win a big game on the road eventually, and UL's got a chance to do it on Thursday. But that might again tell us, who really is the best team out of these four? Who can win away from home? By the way, I just cast a glance while you were saying that at the rest of James Madison's schedule. Uh, not good for the rest of the league. Uh, they play their next two games are on the road at Georgia Southern, who's a capable team, uh, and at Coastal Carolina, who probably not as good, but they've had some wins. I mean, they've been up and down, Coastal Carolina. They're, they're not inept by any means so they play those two games and then their last four are all at home so James Madison's final four conference games are all at home now they're against Old Dominion who's a capable club against the Cajuns against Marshall and against Georgia State who's not been as good this year as they normally are but still you're talking about it would not be shocking if they went 5-1 and one or 6-0 and oh in that stretch with four of them at home. And Coastal, very beatable, and Georgia Southern, a beatable team. Although, it wouldn't shock me if Georgia Southern beat them because Georgia Southern, for Cajun fans, we kind of think a little higher on them than a lot of people because when they come to Lafayette, they play great normally and look great. So, And they played tremendous in that first half before the Cajuns had that great comeback from a 19-point halftime deficit. But to your point and FedEx man's point, uh, James Madison's schedule favors them big time down the stretch. All right, that'll do it for this. We'll be back.
This is Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's not uncommon here on Footnotes for Kevin Foote's voice and his blood pressure to rise rapidly during the show. The fat guys like you and me need to be watching mop-up time just like the stars do. Sometimes it rises a little too high. That is stupid. Stupid. Not to worry, we have EMT standing by just in case Foot passes out. Back to more Footnotes on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome back to Footnotes. Kevin Foot on the game. Again, the game hotline, 706-0111, 706-0111. I know I, I've said this for years and years, and so if you've been listening you, and you don't agree with me on this, first of all, you know, you need to look at yourself in the mirror and find out why you don't agree with me and figure out, like, why you have no sense of justice in your life. But um, that's a free country. You don't have to agree with me. And you don't agree with me. You may be tired of hearing me say this, but like we talked about before, think about it. How can you sit in a room in New York City or wherever the NFL hierarchy meets and says, you know what, if some official just completely botches a rule or a call, what do we want to fix it for? Like, why fit? Like, why have a mechanism in place to fix it? Like, what do we want to fix? We're just going to let it go. Like, we don't care. Who cares if they get it right? Like, how? I mean, think about that. That's, first of all, if they haven't had that conversation, then they're completely inept because how can you not have that conversation? And if you have had that conversation and your conclusion is, well, we're just going to wing it. Like, we don't care if we get it right. If they botch a call, that's just part of the game. We've got the whole country believing that it's part of the game. And so if they botch it and, it, it, you know, a team gets the raw deal, who cares? We don't care about fair play. We're making millions. I mean, either one is unacceptable to me, but it's got to be one of those two. It, it, it's just, I just, again, it's not good that it happened to the Cajun women's basketball team and the Sunbelt Conference should have a way to fix that and, you know, replace theoretically or and another problem, it goes back to another problem that I have with all this process that I've complained about for years. Why could Gary not pitch more of a fit about it? Because he didn't have a timeout left. Little Johnny couldn't go to, it didn't have another little stick to go to the bathroom with. I mean, it's just so stupid. This whole game that we play. Well, if, you, if you're out of timeouts, then we don't care about justice anymore. I always so thought stupid. the NFL rule about the challenges and, like, if you, if you won the first two, so it's like, oh, if they blatantly miss a call after that, <laughs> then it's fine it's childish. because you used your two challenges. Like, you're basically saying, oh, if our officiating crew is extra bad and you have to challenge that many calls, well, well, well you too shouldn't bad for have. You. So. Suffer, Pope. <laughs> I mean, it's just... The whole I the concept behind all this just drives me bonkers. Again, I, I 
I re- there are people that believe the NFL is rigged. I don't think it's rigged. I think it's negligent. Uh, and that has been my argument all these years. I don't think they determine who's going to win. I just don't think they care at all about fairness. And because and they prove it every year by now. Not, now again, for the first time, we're seeing steps where they're actually changing calls without little Johnny having to use his little stick man to go to the bathroom. Like they did it again. We talked about it in the AFC Championship game. There have been other examples, but they did it when they changed the call. When uh, Mahomes' knee was down before one of his little crazy sideline passes in the AFC Championship game. And they should have done the same thing, obviously, in the Saints-NFC Championship game, which is what Casper's point was. Just make the call. Just change it. Everybody's watching. It's the championship game to go to the Super Bowl. Everybody's watching, so just change it. And if your mechanism wasn't in place because you don't care about fairness because you're an idiot or you're just inherently evil, then change it and worry about changing the mechanism later that it should have been done. What's that guy? Al Riveron was the guy up in the booth. He should have just phoned down and said, look, we're changing it. That is too blatant. Again, we're not talking about 50-50 call. Well, what is a 50-50 call? Shut up, idiot. We're not talking about 50-50 calls. We're talking about 190 to 100% calls. Like, And in the case of the Cajun game, we're talking about a rule that was misapplied that cost the team a game. And in effect, cost them a chance to win a, a, a conference championship. And so... Again, it's awful that it happened. But to me, it's you could it's more understandable that it would happen within the Sunbelt Conference than it would happen with the we're talking about the NFL here. And they they still they just now, after fifty seven years, just now are thinking, you know what, maybe we ought to put something in that keeps us from having one of these really bad errors to decide again. Oh, you think you think Maybe we should have started that in the 80s when replay first became available instead of that fat guy down there trying to give him a heart attack heart attack down in Lafayette, Louisiana because he's been complaining about this forever. It just drives me bonkers. I just, I just don't get it. But at least finally, after all these years, maybe some progress. Jake DeLome tomorrow in the 10 o'clock hour. Looking forward to talking Saints and NFL and football with him. Y'all have a nice day.